My advice is just get through it. Being a student is difficult no matter what, and it's a finite amount of time and it will end. You will find a rotation and it will be like home. It'll just fit. And I think everybody in my class got to that sooner than I did. Welcome to the Awakened Anesthetist podcast. I'm your host, Mary Roberts. I'm a certified anesthesiologist assistant living and working outside of Kansas City, Missouri. I created this podcast to give CAAs across the nation a place to come together and awaken to our profession's unique ability to create a life by design rather than default. That process can start by simply listening and engaging with this podcast. By doing so, you're already changing what's possible for CAAs, for you, for me, for all of us. I'm so thankful you're here. Let's jump into this episode and see what we can do together. Hello, all my fellow CAAs, CAA students, and anesthesia colleagues. I am your host, Mary Jean, and welcome to this process interview. This is the first of a three-part student series that I am creating to speak specifically to those CAA students who are out there listening to me or prospective CAA students. When I was thinking about going to CAA school, and that was probably in about 2004, maybe, I know that a resource like this would have really been enlightening and inspiring. And so I'm hoping that you guys feel the same. Let's do our timeout for this first student guest or new grad guest. I have with me Charlie Chase. He is a 2022 graduate of the University of Missouri-Kansas City MSA program. He is currently practicing in the state of Missouri at St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri. He currently works four days a week, so he works four 10-hour shifts and has a rotating day off. In this episode, Charlie references his salary and sign-on bonus. So for context, I just wanted to say that we recorded this conversation in December of 2022. Charlie had been at SLU, St. Louis University, for less than three months. And so his perspective was extremely fresh. He walks us through what it was like to get hired on and some of the pitfalls he encountered in the credentialing and licensing process. Charlie very openly describes some tricky interpersonal dynamics that he had to navigate when he was a student. This episode is going to expand, of course, any CAA students who are out there now navigating their program or any CAA prospective students who are out there listening. But I also think it holds value to practicing CAAs for us to listen to Charlie and remember how difficult the programs truly are and how much stress the students are under and maybe can give us a little bit more empathy and compassion, especially for those first-year students who are coming into the OR so green. Charlie's episode really reminded me as I was listening back about how anxious I was as a new student and how uncomfortable it can feel. I am so grateful to Charlie for sharing his story so candidly and so openly, and I can't wait to share it with you all. So let's jump into this episode. Welcome, Charlie, to The Awakened Anesthetist. Hi there, Mary. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm really excited to talk to you. Charlie just graduated, and he and I kind of started together when I started teaching. And so we kind of have been going through the program together a little bit. So I'm excited to see where you are now and where has life taken you. 
I'm going to start us off with the first question I ask everyone just to get to know you as a person as opposed to just a CAA, which is tell us about your cultural background and your upbringing. Okay, sure. I was born in Cedar Rapids, Iowa in 1990. Only child kind of had a little bit of an issue with my my family. Being that only child, my parents are fairly conservative and religious and um, when I came out as gay, they were not super thrilled. So I used my my college degrees. I double majored in biology and German to just get out of there. So I was 21 when I graduated with both of those. Went off to Germany the day I graduated, actually. Um, and then studied my master's in epidemiology over in Germany. And then I worked in clinical research um, throughout Germany and Austria, just kind of training study teams and overseeing clinical trials. And then I guess after six or seven years, I was getting older and realizing that I wasn't saving a ton of money. And I got into science really to work with my hands and do something cool, like be in a lab. I just, the ultimate goal was to not be a paper pusher, Mm -hmm. which is why I quit business. Probably. I I guess I was at a accounting major for six weeks (laughs) because it was what looked good on paper. Mm -hmm. And it took me a grand six weeks as an 18 year old to realize that what looks good on paper doesn't necessarily feel right. And you just got to do what you like. So I'm glad I learned that lesson quicker because I think there's even some adults that haven't uh, fully actualized that concept yet. Mm. And uh, yeah, but I, I was ultimately kind of a medical paper pusher in Germany. And I was like, this is not my full potential. This is not, this is not correct. Something's wrong. So I came back to the U.S. I I looked for clinical research jobs half-heartedly because it's what I had experience in. And like nobody wants to go back to school when they're almost 30. Um, And then I did a lot of traveling. And I finally, this is probably going to be a follow-up question you have of how I found AAs, but this is is the story. That's okay. You go, Charlie. It is a question I have. (laughs) Okay. I did a lot of traveling, but then I finally, I ended up in the Grand Canyon and for some reason, super cliche, it just made me really think like this whole thing is vast. Mm -hmm. I just, I was struck by it. And I was like, what do I actually want to do? What do I actually want out of this life? And I'd always like, since I was 19 in this biology program, I was like, anesthesiologist because I'd already had phlebotomy training. You know, I'd worked at a plasma center, um, And I was like, I want to take people's pain away. I want to be there for them. I like, that's, that's what I'd like to do. And then I also got to know a PA really well in college. Mm -hmm. And I was like, or that one of those two is my dream job. And then at the Grand Canyon, I had this quote unquote epiphany that you can't finish something unless you start, which sounds really basic and is obvious, but it seemed big at the time. Um, And I was like, okay, let's start. So I got home and I looked up prereqs for anesthesiologist, prereqs for PA. And they were all like, oh, you got to take organic chemistry. You got to go back and do this. So I knew I was going to have to go back for at least a year and just like make up some little classes that I hadn't taken. But then with the combination of that search, Mm. it led me to AA. I was like, oh, it's like PA-ish training, but like I get to do anesthesia and make more money than a PA would. 
um, which was secondary because I really just wanted to work with my hands and like do anesthesia, you know? And I was like, this cannot be real, but it was. So I went back to school, took the MCAT, did my prereqs, got into UMKC. And what year was that? Um, the year that I discovered all of that would have been November of 2017. And I left myself this encouraging voice memo of like, I want this so bad. Don't get lazy later when you're working for this and Very finish cool. it, please. And I still have it on my phone. And I listened to it actually the day that I got the results that I passed the cert exam and just like, you know, completely was a big pile of tears. So yeah, 2017 is when I found out about it. 2018 is when I went back to my undergrad for a year to do, you know, organic chemistry, one, two, biochem, physics, all that. Took the MCAT, did pretty well on that actually, which thankfully, because I think that probably made up for some GPA. (laughs) (laughs) What was your GPA? I think my science GPA and like my total GPA overall would have been right around a 3.3. Okay. Um, and I think most of the the program reported that people had had 3.5s and 3.6s. Mm-hmm. Um, but my MCAT was well above average. Mm-hmm. I think you're supposed to get a 500 and I got like a 505 or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the program just wants you to have a 495 or something. So I knew in that metric that I had kind of blown that one out of the water. Plus I was just older and had experience. So I got in. Yes. The class. Uh, I got in, I guess I interviewed, it would have been 2019 and we started in January of 2020 and had uh-huh. two and a half normal quote unquote normal months. And then I did, I was, I was the COVID class, you know, we lost six months of clinicals and all that. So. And do you mind just sharing a little bit of what CAA school was like for you? I mean, Certainly you can talk about the COVID thing, but just overall, maybe what the experience of CAA school was for you. Sure. I didn't really know what to think or what to expect when I was walking in. I'm like, okay, this is school. This is, you know, this is professional school. This is different. I told myself that from the get go, that every single person in this class, like, A, we were handpicked and we were there with a very specific purpose to do this one job that this master's degree allows us to do. Like I've, I'd gone from being such a generalist cause I, it was mm-hmm. hard for me to even specify my biology degree beyond general biology. And now to g- get a master's degree at such a high level at such a cost that would allow me to do precisely one job. I was like, Oh, I hope I like this. <laughs> exactly. Sure. That's a real thought. But the experience I would say it was an adjustment to figure out what the expectations were, especially once I got to clinic. Cause I think we had about three weeks of normal clinic time before the world changed. Mm-hmm. And I've always been very analytical, very scientific, very like straightforward. It's only in the past few years that I've really like warmed up and accepted that feelings and emotions and all that are valid. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, why is all of this critique coming down to my personality? Like, it's not about like, how about just like someone can give a good anesthetic, like that should be everything. But I feel like most of my criticisms in clinic were coming from my personality being too big. And I was actually really annoyed Mm -hmm. that these people who were 
maybe my age, maybe even a little younger or barely older, like someone that I would have gone to high school with at some point are like telling me how I have to be as a person Mm -hmm. rather than like, here's what you do for clinic or like, here's what you're supposed to say. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's how you have to be. And at first I was trying to learn. I was trying to be like, okay, I'm really going to have to do this. And then I took a few steps back and I was like, no, we're not going to do that. Cause, um, cause I wanted more to talk about anesthesia in the clinic mm-hmm. rather than people being like, oh, your personality takes a while to warm up to, or you're a lot or whatever. I'm just like, okay, well, whatever that's patients can be a lot too. Like mm-hmm. I, I just didn't understand why that was all placed on me, but may I ask what you think about that now that you've finished? Because I know as an instructor and as once a student, like you are within maybe six to 12 inches of up to five people. And so there is this weird personal space and, you know, orienting around, you know, this small area and trying to give anesthesia and also the interpersonal dynamics between the surgeons and the nurses. I'm just wondering if there is anything you might do differently now that you're an instructor, if you have someone who has a bigger personality or a really shy personality come in, you know, both ends of the spectrum, I think, seem to get comments, negative comments from instructors. I just ha- I'm wondering if you have any, you know, advice or what your takeaway is from all of that experience. Yeah, I think it's really hard as an instructor, too, because I'm realizing now that Obviously, instructors are not omnipotent, but also as I kind of got my own footing beneath me and got through half of second year and I was kind of getting some of these same remarks from, I would say every third rotation, Mm -hmm. it would come up. I just kind of realized, okay, now that I've been to enough of these and I actually feel like a decently competent anesthetist, I'm just going to go ahead and say certain places have culture that I just hate. Personally, mm-hmm. like I, I was willing to like give the feedback back and not be like, oh gosh, I'm bad at this and that every single place is a gem and is correct. But mm-hmm. versus like, oh no, I would never want to work there. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just about, about culture and finding a fit. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's just such a, such a complex web. I mean, every single individual is an individual. Uh, there's no real better way to put that. Mm-hmm. And every single instructor is going to have certain expectations. Some people, you know, are really old school and they might not be actually old. They might be your age, Mm -hmm. but once they get that instructor title, they might think, oh, students are meant to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. And someone said that out loud to me in the year 2020. And I was just like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'll just never speak again. And I'll just get so much done here, won't I? I mean, Um, hospital culture is backwards. I I think it is shocking. It's shocking to get into an operating room and realize that there is a culture to every operating room, to every, you know, OR suite. And you're exactly right that not every um, OR and hospital system is going to be right for your personality. And that is one of the good things about being a student is that you get to see what makes you fit and what makes you feel less comfortable And I also think it is just a hard truth of the program that you are going to be standing six inches away from someone who just kind of rubs you the wrong way and you rub them the wrong way. And it's hard to get through that. And yeah, I've searched for advice as well to be able to say, oh, this is how you navigate that. But 
I think at the end of the day, um, it sounds like you knew yourself well enough to say, okay, I'm not going to compromise these values. I'm still going to be speaking to my patients, making them comfortable. I'm still going to be sticking up for my patients when they're unconscious or about to go unconscious if I feel like this room is not suitable in terms of noise or chaos. But, you know, maybe I will try to be a little bit more quiet. You know, I'm trying to be looking like I'm focusing on the anesthesia machine or, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, if your anesthesia skills are good, it is hard to tear you down. And so, you know, maybe always going back to like, if I can keep my intubation skills getting better and better and better, if I remember what this specific instructor told me to do better last Thursday, and I do it better this Tuesday for that same instructor, I think that is the lasting effect. Like, oh, I listened to my instructor and I did what this person wanted me to do, regardless of whether that's something I'm going to take out with me when I'm graduated. I mean, it's just really tricky. And I appreciate your vulnerability sharing that because, you know, it's kind of an unfortunate thing. And a fortunate part of the program, the whole experience is that, you know, the instructors aren't necessarily all masters of education studied people. Like these are people who just learn and know how to give anesthesia and are trying to teach a wide variety of other people how to give anesthesia. And sometimes it clicks and sometimes it doesn't. So Right. I wasn't, I guess, giving the personality ideal of it as much credit as I should have, because it does. And you see that even as an AA out in the real world, like who you're attending is that day can Mm. make or break your day. Sure. Having a good circulator nurse in the room that day can make or break your day. Sure. Your surgeon, obviously, we know that one. Yes. But it's just so, it matters so much more than I, I had honestly realized. And I think that's why I clicked so well with SLU mm-hmm. in particular, because the institution moves a little slower and I like, I can do things quickly during anesthesia, but especially during my setup, I like to be really meticulous and we have a little more turnover time. So I can go through my whole, I know some people do mismates. I do damnets just because like mm-hmm. I added things to the, to the letters, but you know, drugs, airway monitor machine, IV pulse, suction tape and temp probe. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind sharing how you got that job at SLU? Sure. So I actually, I am, I have no embarrassment saying I am the last person in my class that signed a contract. (laughs) Um, most people signed, I think towards the middle or end of second year, but I rotated there March as a third year. So second to last rotation for a UMKC student anyway. And our program director had kind of told me, even as a first year, she's like, all these things that you're hearing right now about like your personality or whatever is what everyone's going to love about you as a coworker. It's just, they don't Mm -hmm. necessarily appreciate it from a student, which she was right. And I didn't understand that until I became an actual coworker and Mm -hmm. I've had some students. I'm like, ah, dang it. She was right. (laughs) (laughs) That was actually really good advice. Yeah. But I didn't know what to do about it in the meantime of being a student, you know, like I'm still me the whole time I'm a student, like we don't exist sure. in a vacuum. It's it's really hard to navigate that. I guess here's my advice, addendum to a previous question. <laughs> my advice is just get through it. Being a student is difficult no matter what, and it's a finite amount of time and it will end. Mm-hmm. And then getting back to what she did tell me was that you will find a rotation and it will be like home. It'll just mm-hmm. fit. 
And I think everybody in my class got to that sooner than I did. Mm. And I was just kind of teed up to be like, okay, what is, which one of these is the least objectionable uh-huh. <laughs> to me? I thought I was going to kind of have to quote unquote settle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I rotated at SLU and they, they wanted me in, like they gave me the spiel on day one and had me in for an interview scheduled for an interview before I left. And then I came back for it at my final rotation mm. And I was like, you know what, guys? Yeah. Because they turned it around super fast. They were like, here's your sign-on bonus. Here's your salary. Here's your like hours. Here's your contract. Once you sign it, you're ours. I was like, okay. <laughs> it's nice to be wanted. I mean, it's nice to feel that it fit was. and then to be wanted. It was. I, I loved going to that rotation every day. And they kind of actively pursued me a little bit. I was like, this is this is that feeling that I needed to like get my uh, imposter syndrome to kind of come down a little Mm -hmm. bit and be like, yep, here we go. In 2021, I began using a neural manifestation technique called to be magnetic. I had been working as a CAA, a certified anesthesiologist assistant for over a decade, and I felt relatively happy, but just naggingly unfulfilled. I needed clarity on what my next steps in life should be. To Be Magnetic's neural manifestation process has given me exactly that, clarity. TBM, as they call themselves, uses neuroscience, epigenetics, psychology, and the power of neuroplasticity to bring your life into alignment with your unique purpose. While some other manifestation programs out there are selling you millions and mansions, TBM promises to bring you back to your whole, worthy, authentic self, and from that space, you build the life uniquely meant for you. This work won't resonate with everyone, but I believe CAAs are in a unique position to find clarity and fulfillment using the tools offered in To Be Magnetic's Pathway Membership. If you're curious about how TBM can bring you more clarity with upcoming big decisions or questions, check out the links in the show notes. They offer a free clarity workshop that I've linked, and it's a great place to start to see if the TBM method resonates with you. And if you feel ready to dive into all the workshops, challenges, and daily practices offered by To Be Magnetic, you can sign up for their Pathway membership using my exclusive code, all caps, AAPODCAST15, for 15% off your yearly or monthly Pathway membership. I use TBM's Pathway every day to feel more connected with myself and to receive clarity on all things career, love, money, parenting, and my next right steps. Use all caps AA Podcast 15 to receive the best deal offered by TBM and get started building your life by design rather than default whenever you're ready. Happy manifesting. So tell us a little bit more about your work structure. I think people are going to be interested to hear exactly what hours you're working. Break that down a little bit. Sure. So I started out on five eights just to get introduced to it. Actually, this week is the the week that I moved to the four tens now. So it's like really my real contract as of this week. So the contract that we offer to anesthetists, um, and we do hire both AAs and CRNAs, is four tens. And we're expected to be there and ready, dressed at seven cases tend to start at 7.30 unless they're in like CTIR, they'll start at 8. And then we would leave at 5 as a 10-hour person. And 
it's very rare that you would stay past five. Usually a resident or a 12 hour shift mm-hmm. person will get you out as rooms come down. Yesterday I left at 4.38. Nice. So get obviously one day a week off, whatever day of the week that is. So like for me to today, as we're recording this, it's Wednesday. So next week, my day off will be Thursday. Mm-hmm. Then the following week, my day off will be Friday, followed by the Monday. So that that's my f- four-day weekend there. And then the week after that, it'll be the Tuesday. So just kind of diagonal. And then whenever you have the Friday, the following Monday is automatically there. So that's your, your golden weekend. Oh, nice. And that schedule, you pretty much stay on that. There's no reason that it would ever change. So I have all through 2023 already planned out. Wow. When my golden weekends were, we already picked our vacations weeks and stuff. And I have them kind of lined up with, with some of those weekends. And it's, it's nice to know when you'll be going home because I know most anesthetists really, there's more of a peel system. They know that they'll be going home early ish or late ish, but you can't always make solid evening plans. Mm -hmm. And I think we all know that about the time you make solid evening plans is the day that all the traumas come in. So absolutely. um, Yeah. Appeal system, just for anyone who's listening, doesn't understand that terminology is um, in anesthesia. Generally, let's say there are 10 people, 10 anesthetists. So AAs or CRNAs or residents working. Everyone gets a number one through 10. If you're number one, you're the first person to go home. So basically when there is an opportunity, meaning a surgery finishes and a room, an operating room shuts down, that number one person gets to go home and it goes on down the line. And usually number 10 is perhaps the call person, whatever that call shift may be. Um, And where Charlie works, he is doing hourly shifts And that's usually facilitated because there is um, a 12-hour person, as Charlie just said, who can relieve you, or oftentimes it is the residents who don't work hourly, and they will then relieve the hourly people, um, such as Charlie, it sounds like. And um, when you're looking for jobs, those are the types of things that you can be looking for and asking and usually get to experience the Peel system way and the hourly way, residents or hospitals with no residents during all of your rotations. And so I um, wanted to follow up that question. If you could break down a little bit more, whatever you're comfortable sharing about your specific package, maybe just, you know, vacation, you know, hit the high points, vacation, if you feel comfortable sharing your sign-on bonus and those sorts of things. Sure. So yeah, I definitely joined SLU for the lifestyle, not necessarily the, the money or the package. Of course, any no AA makes bad money, I don't think. So mm-hmm. and anesthesia is known for having pretty good vacation as well. But it really was that that kind of guarantee of knowing when I would get off every day and the the lifestyle. The team was very happy. And I you can feel when you rotate as a student at a place that's not happy. Absolutely. But um, the package is, as a new grad, what I personally was offered... And I, I feel a little bit bad about this because I know people who got hired like a year before me did not get a sign-on bonus, but it just kind of comes and goes. It's not really up to the anesthesia group. It's kind of more of an HR thing. But I personally was uh, given a $25,000 sign-on bonus for a two-year commitment. Um, new grads at SLU make one sixty eight five zero one a year starting. Mm-hmm. And based on experience, I think you cap out at I think the highest it goes about two fifty mm-hmm. per year at SLU, and I think we're about to get 
an upgrade to that actually, because I know that our sister institution, Cardinal Glennon, their anesthesia group was just acquired by SSM, which is what I work for. Mm-hmm. Um, they just got all raised up to like 196, I think, as new grads. Wow. Um, That's great. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, PTO pretty much ends up being six and a half weeks. Do they make you take the paid time off in one week chunks or can you take a day here, a day there? So yeah, that's what I was about to touch on. We picked in September the year before you select four weeks of your vacation and then you've basically got that week and a half left over that just kind of, we call it open season, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally. Um, and you can kind of take that at not necessarily a moment's notice, but pretty, pretty easily. Nice. Yeah. So Charlie actually has an interesting and frustrating probably story about getting his licensure. It took many months to get that state license. And I just wanted him to share exactly what that process was like, maybe what the roadblocks were. And hopefully, Charlie, you have some advice on how maybe someone else can do this a little bit more expeditiously, or if there's any advice you can give someone who's about to go through the same process. Absolutely. So at SLU, St. Louis University Hospital, there is a lot of onboarding paperwork in general. So once I accepted the contract and signed, I basically got this onslaught of emails from all these different departments telling me to fill this out, fill this out, fill this out. And I didn't quite realize that they are not of equal importance. Everybody will send you an email from like the billing department, ask like acting like it is the most urgent thing that you get qualified for this, which I found out in retrospect is something that can be done after you're hired and started. As long as it's done mm-hmm. within like your first year, it's not a big deal. And then there's other things that will absolutely delay you getting started, like not having a state license or having a provider number. Um, and, you know, I was so focused on school when I was in school that I, it somehow slipped past me the difference between being credentialed and being licensed. Mm, I can explain that a little bit. So, um, credentialing is when the hospital has received your license and they have credentialed you within their institution to work at that institution on their patients. And you have privileges in that hospital to open the PIXIS because Mary is also an AA and she is allowed by the state of Missouri to practice in the state of Missouri, but she could not come to St. Louis University Hospital and open my PIXIS with her fingerprint and perform anesthesia on the patients. So, and that is not because she is not licensed. It is because she is not credentialed at St. Louis university hospital. So what I think I did was I got kind of bloated and overwhelmed by all this paperwork. So what I wanted to do was get all of the institution stuff done. And so I sent off this fee that I thought was for a license, but it was just to get credentialed. And then I went, to Canada for eight weeks to celebrate graduating, drove to the Arctic Ocean and do all that stuff. And then on my way home, once I was back in the US, I called and I was like, hey, where's my license at? Like, where are we in the process? I know it takes a while. And she looked it up. She's like, I don't even see your name here in the registry. Like that you would, Charlie. And I was like, pardon me, what? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, yeah. She's like, have you even applied for a license? And I was like, 
Um, well, now you're calling all of that into doubt on my <laughs> behalf because I applied for something and sent off money to something because I thought wanted it to all be processing while I was gone. And lo and behold, credentialing and licensure are not the same thing. So I finally get all the way back to my parents' house and I this lady was nice enough to send me the link, like showing me everything that I needed. I threw the entire package together. My mom works for the state. So I went downtown and had one of her colleagues notarize the thing for me. Um, you know, we got a passport picture there and everything. And I just, I sent it all in with the fee and that would have probably been mid July, but the Missouri board of healing arts specifically is so vast, even massage therapists and basically anybody Mm -hmm. who breathes and does anything with people uh, has to get licensed through them. So I, I would imagine that they are overburdened, but it did take a very long time to even get the first step of the processing done. And then you go into what's called a review period um, for up to four weeks um, after that, you know, you've sent everything in. So my advice for that is to just kind of know your terms, but, you know, we never really had a, a class in school or just even a mention of like, Hey, here's what all these like, business terms mean, and here's what your biggest priorities Mm -hmm. need to be uh, outside of school. There was, I don't really feel like we ever got sat down and were taught how to apply for licensure. You um, weren't. And, and what, what really needs to to happen to expedite your beginning of your money making rather than money giving journey. So I would say it was probably nine weeks before I got what's called a PIN number so that you can actually check your application online and see what's missing and what you need to fill in. And then probably three weeks after that, I had my license. So I got it like a middle of September on a Wednesday. So you feel like you sent all of the information into your Missouri Board of Healing Arts, which is the body in Missouri that delivers your Missouri state CAA license in mid-July and you ended up receiving it in mid-September? Yeah, early July. It was July. it was 8th of July, and I think it was like the 17th of September. Yeah, that's a good long time. That I got it. So it took, you know, we had to keep pushing my start date back, and I felt so bad for my colleagues because they kept saying, okay, we finally got the schedule worked out, and we're so happy you're going to be here. Everything's going to be like a lot less stressful with another person here. And then I kept having to push it back and push it Mm. back. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't want to let the team down. But my piece of advice would be do make sure that you read that list very thoroughly of what they require for that license. Because I know some of my classmates, they sent their stuff in in March and only got their license probably a month or two before me. Um, But just do it right the first time because it, it has come back to some people and they've had to like refill it out. Yeah, it's a headache. My goodness. I do have a final question. This podcast is really about hearing other CAA stories and hearing how they're using our profession to create a life by design and maybe not just doing what's expected or, you know, going on a traditional trajectory unless maybe that's what they want. And I'm wondering if that resonates with you and how you feel like your CAA profession um, is allowing you to do the things that you love and the things you're passionate about? Uh, sure. So everybody 
that's probably listening to this knows that AAs are not able to work in all 50 states. Um, and my heart and soul and body and some family lie in the temperate rainforests of Washington. Mm-hmm. And I can't work there. So I can't live there, at least not easily. But with some seniority at SLU, I could get uh, 312s, and those are always bunched together. So I know we get at least two or three five-day weekends out of that situation. Um, So I could at least live there part-time. And just even the four-day weekends and the lifestyle. I think Mm -hmm. it really took living in Europe for me to open my eyes to kind of a little bit of the indoctrination we get here in the States of, you know, work all the time, never take a vacation. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. no, nope, that's not going to be my life. So, you know, I've got my first four day weekend coming up in two weeks and I just booked, I've got it all right here on this piece of paper laid out that I am flying to Seattle and going out to the Olympic National Park area, out to the peninsula, and I will spend a few days in the rainforest just hiking around and being there because I can afford it now. And I have the time, and I chose a job that provides the lifestyle mm-hmm, for sure. that, that does that. And you don't get that with every regular job. You don't even get that, honestly, with every CAA job. Mm-hmm, for sure. Charlie, I'm so proud you and Casey gets to claim you as a grad. Really, <laughs> you're a great example of just a caring CAA who has found the right spot for them. And I can tell you're just going to flourish. Um, so I really wish you the best of luck and success in your future and that you get to take lots and lots of trips to Washington State. I, I'm pretty sure I saw that a um, state society formed there, like a quad A state society formed in Washington. Yes, there is a, here, let me look at it on my phone real fast. It's, I have it on one of these tabs. It is called the Washington Academy. So there's like, I think they, it's Mm -hmm. (laughs) W-A-A-A-A. Yeah. So there must be people there who are thinking about it. So you never know. I mean, I think that is one of the awesome things about this profession is that you do have enough let's just say money and time um, and also that feeling of being worthy. And, you know, our, I think our culture looks to people in medicine and gives us a sense of self-worth that you can use that to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and maybe seek a new opportunity in Washington or push at that state. Um, you know, and you never know what's going to happen. And I do think it's a huge hurdle that A's aren't working in all 50 states. But I do think that there's still so much good within this profession and that there are possibilities that we can all keep pushing for. And in the meantime, you get to have, it sounds like, a wonderful job at St. Louis University and are happy and get to flourish somewhere that really wants you. So I wish you all the best in the future. How could anyone get in contact with you if they are a new grad or maybe just starting the CAA program and have some questions? Are you open to people contacting you? And if so, what's the best way? Um, Well, thank you for all the nice things you just said. I am very (laughs) happy and it has been a while since I have been. I kind of was looking around my apartment the other day when I had like a home set up. I was like, is this what happiness is? Am I Mm -hmm. doing it? 
have I not been doing it for a really long time? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, people can get in contact with me. Yes, absolutely. If they are inquiring about the AA profession, if they are students, if they are new grads, um, it's actually just my full name is my email address. So it's charles.comstock.chase at gmail.com. Uh, Charles, C-H-A-R-L-E-S dot Comstock, C-O-M-S-T-O-C-K dot C-H-A-S-E at gmail.com. And I'll put that in the episode notes so that Perfect. people didn't have to be furiously writing right there. But okay. <laughs> I appreciate you being open to that because I do think your voice is a much different voice than mine. And your experience is so new and fresh that people who are about to graduate and don't know the difference between credentialing and licensure, you would be a wonderful resource for them. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Um, We have come to the end of this episode. I like to do a little mindfulness and transition with the end of my process interview guests just to really be an example for our CA community that it is possible to take time for ourselves and that there are these little moments between, you know, the thing we were just doing, finishing this episode, and then whatever you're going to do next, where you can insert a little bit of attention to yourself, self-care. And I wanted to practice that with you now. And if you are willing, we can just do maybe three big deep breaths and then um, we can go about our day. Sounds great. Okay. Let's take a big inhale, everyone together. Hold it at the top and exhale deeply. Let's take two more deep breaths. Inhale. Hold and exhale. Last one, inhale, and exhale. All right, Charlie, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me, and I know that the CAA community is better for hearing your stories. All right, well, thank you so much. I appreciated being here. Thank you, Charlie. All right, have a good one. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this first student process episode. There will be two more episodes in this student series over the coming months. So be sure you are subscribed or following the Awakened Anesthetist podcast so you don't miss those episodes when they come out. I also wanted to give a little update after Charlie and I finished our conversation. Actually, the state of Washington introduced CAA legislation and the Quad A, as well as that state component society that Charlie was getting involved with in the state of Washington, made huge efforts to rally CAAs across the nation to call state legislators. Unfortunately, it is not going to go for a vote in the 2023 cycle, but it is the first step in getting CAA legislation passed in the state of Washington. So congratulations to the Washington Academy of Anesthesiologists Assistants and to Charlie for making that headway. If you liked this conversation and want to hear more like it, please leave the Awakened Anesthetist podcast a rating, and you can also write a little review that helps other people find the episode. It tells other CAAs or prospective CAAs why they should listen, what's helpful about it. 
Um, and it's also great for me to get a little bit of feedback just to hear how the episodes are landing for you all. So I'd really appreciate you guys taking the time to write those ratings and review. And if you've already done so, thank you so much. I do see those and it really feels good to get some feedback from you. All right. Till next time. Okay. Yay. We made it. All the technological hurdles. Oh my gosh. I have I five know. recordings. God. <laughs> Jesus.